Let's jump into the Word today. If you have got your Bible, your Bible app, open to 2 Kings chapter 2. It's in the way back mode in the Old Testament. If you are new to the Bible, I encourage you to use the table of contents. But 2 Kings here, this is brilliant. comes right after 1 Kings. Amazing, huh? You guys are impressed with my Bible knowledge already. But uh, we'll get there in just a second. It's a great story where we read in 2 Kings chapter 2. That's just going to come right now. It's where we're going to take our offering. Again, if you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. Uh, but if this is your church home, we encourage you to give to support what God's doing here. So let's just come on down and start taking the offering right now, if you would, please. And while they're uh, coming, um, let me just tell you a little bit about what 2016 was like for me. I love New Year's. I love this new engagement that we have. Um, I love seasons. And I think God designed it that way because it's a fresh start. And a lot of us make New Year's resolutions or we decide to move in a new direction or new things in a new year. And that's cool. That's awesome. When I look back, though, this is what I often do, especially the last week or two of, of the uh, previous year, I think a lot about what happened. I want to learn from my history. I want to learn from history in general, from biblical history, and I want to learn from my history as well. And I, I often look back and say, God, what did you teach me in 2016? What are the things that you did? And I take some time to celebrate what God did and to reflect on the lessons, even the hard things that, that I learned. 2016 was a year, a lot of change for me personally. I had, and my eighth grandchild, Lupin, was born. She's adorable. That was pretty cool. I always love getting grandchildren. I, I keep saying, give me more. Um, and I'm offering my kids more money to produce more children, so I love grandchildren. But um, I, there are other things that happened in my personal life. A lot of you know that I got engaged with um, and involved with Saddleback Church, Rick Warren uh, and the Saddleback Church, the Purpose Driven Church Fellowship, which is international. And I've been down there several times. They have asked me to be a part of uh, the movement as a regional leader in the Northwest, which I'm honored to do. I got to go, uh, all-expense-paid trip, that's pretty cool, to Africa uh, with Saddleback and to get introduced to what uh, God is doing through Saddleback Church and Rick Warren in the, on the continent of Africa. You'll hear more about that in a few weeks. And I'm telling you guys, it's incredible. It's amazing. And the fact that I get to be involved in that is exciting for me personally. But a lot of changes, a lot of things. I traveled quite a bit this last year. Somebody said, you've been gone a lot. I said, I have been. But for the record, I've actually was in the saddle preaching more than I have for years. I was up about 75% of the time. And by the way, side note, parentheses, people say, you know, well, why don't you preach every Sunday? A, because I'm not that stupid to, to, to wear myself out. I, I got the long view, and that's too much. To, 52 weeks for any guy, trust me, is too much. B, we're trying to develop other teams and other people uh, and we've got a great teaching team. I mean, I, I am thrilled with uh, the guys and the gals, with Teresa and the guys that are involved in our teaching team. So I, I uh, have no problem not being the guy all the time. But I did travel a lot, but I was up quite a bit this last, this last year as well. For me, it was taking some new risk, uh, both personally and in my leadership here at church. And then we reinstituted, re-engaged in some things, EP 101, EP 201, rebirthed those this last year in a new and exciting way. So lots of things that have happened for me that I'm excited about. You might think, well, that's fine, you're a pastor, that's what you do. And you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not. Um, I just, you know, I just show up, I'm just here. Well, I wanna tell you something. I want you to hear this, and I need you to hear this very clearly today. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you. I could talk a lot about what God did in me and, and through me and how the, I experienced 2016. I hope you can look back and see some things God did in and through you as well. But I can guarantee you this. If you look back and go, well, I don't know. It was pretty dud of a year. Not a lot happened in my life. I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for you that exceeds and goes beyond your expectations and your awareness. In fact, here's the big idea today. God wants you to live a life of adventure in his kingdom. He wants you, not just me, not a select few. 
He wants you to live a life of adventure in his kingdom. In fact, boring is not in God's vocabulary. You read the book, you look at the, the, the scriptures, you look at church history, you look at men and women of faith, and one of the things you discover real early on if you're an honest student of history is that when you follow Jesus, there's nothing boring about that. Throughout the word, God called people to live a life of adventure, through a life of adventure. Now, for some of us, Adrenaline junkies like me, we go, yeah, that's awesome, preach it, Kurt. Others are like, eh, time out. Uh, that's the A word, I don't like that word. I'm very comfortable in my life, just leave me alone. We don't really look to adventure as an excitement. But guys, throughout scripture, Abraham, Esther, Gideon, David, Mary, Peter, Timothy, Paul, all these people, you read the book from beginning to end, you see that when God did this, when he called them to follow him, and certainly when Jesus called the disciples, he called them into a life of adventure. And so here's what I'm gonna say, and this, if this offends you, forgive me, but I'm gonna be bold. If your life is tedious, boring, stale, and unadventurous, then I'm gonna challenge you to find and take a new path and a new beginning in 2017. Because I can tell you without hesitation, without any question, that's not God's plan for you. Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. He said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The they is you. Jesus said, I've come that those who follow me will have life Life to the max, abundant life, life to its ultimate fullness. And again, you cannot say boring and full in the same sentence. And so I wanna talk about how you can discover and experience the uncommon life of adventure that God has planned for you in 2017. We're gonna take a look at passage in, in 2 Kings chapter two, and uh, it's a 15 verses I'm gonna read through. It's pretty long, but it's, I, I'm, it's an awesome story. And there are three things I'm gonna land on between, that happen between this prophet Elijah and his a trainee, his, his student, his Padawan, if you will, Elisha. Now, I can't guarantee you I won't get Elijah and Elisha mixed up. I may refer to them as E1 and E2. But Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is a prophet of God and Elisha is his student. And somehow, Elisha discovers. Here's a little background to what we're gonna read. Elisha, E2, discovers that E1 is going to be taken, that he's gonna go, that he's soon gonna be departing planet Earth. And, uh, and uh, Elisha is determined to, uh, to get some things done before Elijah goes. Now, if you zoom out, and I love to read scriptures and to kind of, what's the big picture? If you zoom out, you'll see that this story in 2 Kings is about how Elisha became the successor to Elijah. It's an important part of Jewish history and biblical history and important to us. That's the big idea, is what happened so that Elijah passed the mantle literally on to Elisha. But in all the scriptures of story, uh, stories of scripture, there are things that we can learn. There are things that we can extrapolate, take from them. And so I want you to listen to this story. I'm gonna pick it up in 2 Kings chapter two, verse one. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gagal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So Elijah says to his student, to Elisha, stay put, I'm gonna move on. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets, the school of prophets, at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that your Lord is gonna take your, uh, your master, the Lord is gonna take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. He's saying, yeah, I know, don't talk to me about it, I wanna hear it. Verse four, then Elijah said to him, stay here. And Elisha, uh, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And as he replied, here's Elisha again, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets, the school of prophets at Jericho, went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is gonna take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, be quiet, shut up, I don't wanna hear about it. 
Verse six, then Elijah said to him, stay here as the Lord has sent me to, the, to Jordan, the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I love this next part. So the two of them walked on, they walked on. Verse seven, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan, Jordan River, I've been there. Elijah took his cloak, overgarment, a coat, rolled it up and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. A miracle. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, this is E1 talking to E2, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha spoke up, I love this kid. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Hmm, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. Verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, again, another great picture of this mentor and mentee. Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha, the younger guy, saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two, just to show his, his uh, brokenheartedness of leaving, uh, having his, his mentor and, and leader, his friend, depart from him. Verse 13, Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak. So uh, Elisha is picking up Elijah's coat, which had fallen from him. And he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And this is what he said, and I'm pretty sure he yelled it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Verse 15, the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, wow, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is a great story, I love this story. And one that models for us some things that we can discover and experience in terms of how do we live the uncommon, uncommon life of adventure. The narratives and the stories in the Bible are not necessarily always written to teach us doctrine. That's not heresy, that's just reality. They're, it's not always about theology, but they're often examples to us of what to do or what not to do. When we read the narratives, the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are lessons we can learn from them. There are things that we need to extrapolate, that we can gather and learn from them. They're not stories hidden with some secret meaning, but they are at times, they reveal to us principles for godly living or the way God operates, the way God wants us to understand uh, about the way he moves and works with men and women. And we can derive these things from the narratives of scripture. So having said that, what are some implied principles? What are some lessons that we can learn from this text? And how does that apply to us and you and your pursuit of an uncommon adventure following Jesus? Well, here's three things. Number one, hang out with people who inspire you. First lesson that I see in this text is that we need to hang out with people who inspire us. In other words, develop and maintain relationships with godly men and women in your life who will motivate you to greatness. There's this unquestionable bond between Elijah and Elisha, this connection between the two of them. I, I love, again, in verse six, where it says that the two of them walked on. And in verse 11, it says they walked along and, and were talking together. You see this relationship, this connection that they had. Elisha was the student, Elijah the teacher. And the influence and the impact of Elijah on this younger man, Elisha, was powerful, was life-changing. Sometimes I think we undervalue the importance of godly mentors in our life. We're so busy, we got so much going on, we have so many people already in our lives that we underestimate the importance of godly mentors. And honestly, the flip side of that is we often underestimate the influence 
a bad company. So we, we undervalue a godly mentor, a trainer, somebody who will work with us and help us become all that God wants us to be, and we underestimate the influence of bad company. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Paul said, don't be stupid. Don't, don't miss this. That bad company is gonna mess you up. It corrupts good character. And again, the opposite then is true as well. A good company develops good character. Simply put, let me paraphrase. Here it is. Who you hang with matters. Who you hang out with matters. A guy in our church in uh, Portland many years ago, his name was Trevor. Trevor was an alcoholic and a drug addict. He uh, came and gave his life to Jesus, got radically saved, and it was, it was real. And he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. But it wasn't too long uh, after that that he started partying again with his old friends and his old buddies. And he kept getting into trouble. He kept getting uh, high. In fact, he almost died of an overdose. And this is after he gave his life to Christ. It took him a while to figure out that who he hangs with matters. Now, let me say this. If you're a, you become a Christ follower, the last thing I would encourage you to do is to cut off everybody from your life who doesn't know Jesus. No, don't be that person. Engage, involve, and stay connected to people. But you've got to be smart about it as well. And the people that he decided to continue to hang out with were people that he partied with and people who were doing drugs and people that were doing all sorts of things that got him into that mode again, into trouble. And it took him a while to figure out bad company corrupts good character, good moral. Hanging around with being meaningfully connected to other people in your life who are radical and passionate about their faith will help you. It's one of the best ways to get in to stay radical and passionate yourself. You need to hang out with other people who love, radically love Jesus and are passionate about following him. So let me ask you some questions. Who inspires you to greatness? Who inspires you to greatness? Who inspires you to develop a deeper love and passion for God? Who motivates you to want to discover and embrace your God-given purpose? And who challenges you to live the uncommon life? You need that man or woman in your life. You need an Elijah. You need somebody who will help you grow in your faith and become that man or woman that God wants you to become. Here's the second thing. Second thing I noticed about Elisha. Number two, resolve to be resilient. I love this about Elisha. Three times Elijah says, stay put, I'm moving on. Three times Elisha goes, over my dead body. I'm paraphrasing again. Don't make it happen. I am sticking to you like glue. I'm not, I'm not leaving your side. Three times Elijah says, stay here. And three times Elisha says, ain't no way. Not gonna happen. And I see a tenacity and a determination here that is, is lacking in our culture sometimes, I, I notice. We can only speculate now as to why Elijah did this to Elisha, why he told him to stay put, why he kept saying, no, I want you to stay. I'm moving on, you stay put. I think Elijah knew exactly what was going on, that Elijah saw this as an opportunity to test the resolve of his student, to test the resolve. He was testing Elisha. He was testing Elijah's determination and his commitment. How bad do you want this, kid? How bad do you want this? You see, resiliency, resolve, determination, commitment, those are character traits frequently applauded in the Bible. In fact, Paul says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on guard, stand true to what you believe, be courageous, be strong. You know, some of you don't have a, 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 what is commonly referred to as a life verse. You might wanna adopt this one. Or maybe this will be a verse that you'll hang on to for 2017. Be on your guard, stand true to what you believe, be courageous, be strong. Over and over again, we see the same challenge in the scriptures. Stand true, be courageous, be strong. No matter what distractions come your way or how hard it gets, stay the course. No matter how perplexed you are about circumstances, things you don't understand, keep going. No matter what fear or uncertainty there is around you or happening to you, things you don't get, you don't understand, 
be strong, be courageous, stay the course, live with a holy determination and a confidence in God, a confidence in him. And by the way, you've heard me say this before, you've been around here, I'm not a big fan of self-confidence. I know that goes against the, the flow in our culture. I know that you know we've got a whole bunch of gurus out there and, and people teaching others, you need to just build up your self-confidence. Here's why I'm not a big fan of self-confidence. I know myself and I know people. And if we focus on ourselves, then we might really have a, a good day, maybe a good week, maybe even a good month. But sooner or later, we do something stupid. We blow it, we fail. I don't know anybody, including yours truly, who can focus on self and have success. I do know that when I have God confidence, when I focus on him, that's when all things become possible. Here's a huge difference, guys. Again, I won't unpack that much more except to say I'm not a big proponent of self-confidence. I think it's God confidence that matters. It's who we put our focus and our attention on. Elisha knew, he knew that something was coming. And he knew that, that his teacher, Elijah, was gonna go. And I don't think it was gonna be easy for you know, him to see Elijah go, but he showed a resiliency and a resolve. He said, nothing's gonna stop me. Nothing's gonna separate me from you. So here's what I think. I think discovering God's purpose for your life might not come as easy as you'd like. When I challenge you, and we're gonna get into this a little bit more in the next five weeks, Life on Mission. When I tell you, hey, discover God's purpose, discover his mission, go after it. I need you to hear this now, and I'm gonna say it again and again and again. That does not mean it's going to be easy. In fact, I can probably guarantee you that your life is gonna be difficult in the pursuit of God's plan for your life. I, here's my suspicion. It's because God wants to develop our God confidence and our faith in him. He wants us to lean on him. John 15, Jesus said, abide in me. We abide in the vine when we know we're drying up and dying without Jesus. I think there are a lot of reasons why we may struggle in the midst of it, but God will help you. He's not playing games, but he is testing your resolve. And I think perseverance is often the key to discovery. Let me say that again. Perseverance is often the key to discovery. Some of us just give up too quick. We think, well, I've been trying to discover God's purpose for my life for like a week. I've been at this for a year and nothing really happens. I, trust me, God has the long view. He's got the, he's got the eternal view and he's way more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. I've said that a thousand times. It may not be easy, but God wants you to show resolve and resiliency, to be committed. When I look at history, and I love history, but I look at history, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Helen Keller, I mean, I could go on and on and on, a long list. What I don't see is people who had a life of ease. If you've read any of the stories of any great men or women, you, you will hardly, you never, I'll just say never, maybe you'll find one exception, but you'll hardly ever find any great man or woman in the Bible or out of the Bible in history who has had a life of ease, they always have difficulty. What I see, there are people who press through the adversity. Guys like Abe Lincoln who press through the adversity. And in so doing, they lived an extraordinary and uncommon lives of impact. Again, I wanna challenge you. Keep going even when it's hard. You might be thinking, well, you know, all this stuff of adventure. Kurt, I, I, I work at Walmart. You know, I, I'm just an average person. I don't... I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, there's not a lot about my, I'm, you know, listen to me. I don't care where you work, where you live, what's going on, whether you're in school, whether you're at home, your neighborhood, wherever you work. What I do know is that you in your world have a God-given purpose. And your sphere of influence, God has a destiny for you. And God wants you to live an uncommon life right where you are at. A life of kingdom adventure. 
But to get there requires resolve. Make 2017 a year where you say, you know what, I don't know what's coming. I look back at 2016, and there are so many things that happened that completely shocked me. I'll be honest with you, I, did, I thought Trump had no prayer of ever becoming president. And most of the pundits were on that view as well. A lot of people, I mean, when I woke up the next morning and saw he won this thing, I was, nobody was more shocked than me. I could look, I could list a whole, and that's not a political statement. I'm just saying there's a whole lot of things that happened this last year that I had no idea that they were going to happen. And if you think too long about that, it can make you a little nervous about looking to the next year. But if you determine now, that's my challenge, determine now to have resolve and resiliency, to say, I'm going to stay the course no matter what. Okay, one last thing, I'll be quick on this. To discover the adventure. One last thing you gotta do. Be a risk taker who says yes to Jesus. Be a risk taker who says yes to Jesus. I want to suggest that to discover and experience the uncommon life you've always wanted will require a measure of obedience and boldness that maybe you've not yet experienced. Not only is resiliency necessary, but bold obedience is critical. See, there's something to be said for bold faith and being willing to Make the big ask with God. To be bold and then to say yes to him. Look back again at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what you, I could do for you before I'm taken. And I love this. Elisha goes, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And you might think, well, that's kind of cocky. I, wanna, I want twice as much as you got, Elijah. I read this completely different because I'm, I'm reading it from knowing my, my life. I read it and go, I think Elijah's, Elisha, E2 is saying, I'm half the man you are, so I need twice of what you got from God. I, I need a lot more because I know me. I'm no Elijah. I'm not like you, Elijah. I'm just Elisha. I'm just E2. But so I, I need twice as much. I need more. And verse 10, Elijah said, you've asked a difficult thing. You've asked a difficult thing. Elijah, Elijah here is saying that's a bold request. It's a bold request. And Elijah responded, you've asked for a hard thing. And one translation, Knox translation says, this is no light request you've made. But we see it again and again throughout the word that God honors obedient faith. In fact, he's impressed by it and responds to it well. He's impressed when people are bold and take risks in their following of him. Let me say it again, to discover and experience the uncommon life of adventure requires bold, risk-taking, obedient faith in God. And by the way, it's not faith in faith. It's not faith in our ability. It's faith in a God who can do anything and who loves it. God loves it when you ask for miracles, when you ask for big things. I've talked about this before and I've had people say, well, it sounds like you're encouraging recklessness. And I wanna be clear about something. I am not encouraging recklessness, but sometimes I'm afraid we think the opposite of reckless is riskless. Let me say that again. Too many of us. We think the opposite of reckless is riskless. And that's not just, that's not true. We have to take risk. My old friend and pastor, John Wimber, used to define faith, he spelled it this way, R-I-S-K. They're always connected, risk and faith. Over 15 years ago, God, most of you know the story, God spoke to my heart. I was running on the Centennial Trail, getting ready to run a marathon. I was about... 16, 17 miles into a run, and God spoke to me, said, you're gonna pastor a church in Spokane Valley someday. No, I'm not. <laughs> Thanks, no. I was on staff at Life Center, loved my job, loved the staff, loved what I got to do and my role there, and the last thing, I, I'd been there, done that, I'd planted churches. 
And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm too old for this. I, I don't know. Uh, thank you very much. I, I, I'll pass. And for the next several months, people kept coming up to him and saying, hey, when are you gonna go plant a church? Shut up. When are you gonna go out and plant? Do not talk to me about that. I don't wanna hear it. Not, not, not gonna happen, never gonna happen. And some of you were the ones that said that, Jim and Carrie of Roman, they moved to Seattle, they were here a few weeks ago. They were one of the people who said that to me in Life Center years ago. Hey, when you go plant a church, let's go to the valley, I'll go with you. Shut up. But there came a point where I had to say, yes, okay, God, I'm gonna take the risk. We moved into a little building over on Argonne and Broadway, and it was too small from, get, from the get-go. And we were there, and, and, and God did amazing things, and we started looking for another facility. We checked, boy, if it's an empty building in this valley, we looked at it. And finally, we stopped at this place called, this old building called Kmart that had been sitting here for years. And the realtor opened up and showed up the place, and it was filled with racks and dust about eight inches thick and dead pigeons, and I'm not kidding, it was disgusting. And as we're walking through this place, the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, this is what I have for you in East Point. <gasps> and yet we took the bold risk of faith to say, okay, God, if this is what you want, you're gonna have to show up in a big way. And you guys stepped into the fray with me in, in, in prayer and in faith. And we remodeled from this wall on and did that. And then we were there for several years. And you know the story. The dollar store went belly up. And the owner came to us and said, you want this space? And we thought, no. We were in the shadow of the Great Recession. Not now. Please don't ask us this question now. And then he said, well, make us an offer. And, and we'll entertain just about anything. And so almost in a way of saying, yeah, well, we're going to do everything we can to make this not happen. We gave the owner 18 different things that we required. Our realtor said, I can't present this to him. He'll laugh me out of his office. We said, he asked us, we got nothing to lose, go for it. 18 things on a list, ridiculous request. Things like, uh, we want a reduction in our overall lease and more space. And oh yeah, you know all the 25, 30 year old HVAC units on top of the roof, when they go belly up, you're fixing them. And all these things on and on and on. Unheard of things in the leasing world. 18 things, and guess how many of the owners said yes to? 18 things. All of them, every one of them. And then we raised the money again. You guys helped us step out in faith to remodel and do what God's given to us in this place. Over and over again, guys, as a community of faith, we've taken risk. Have we failed along the way? Oh, yeah. See, here's a little insight I'm gonna tell you, and then I'm gonna shut up, and we're gonna get on to worship and baptism. Guys, listen. You take risk, you risk failure. You risk falling flat on your face. And I have this sneaky suspicion that God would rather have you take a risk and fall than not take any risk at all. Ooh, that rhymes. <laughs> I am convinced that he would rather have you step out and attempt great things for him and fail miserably and grow through that than just sit on your duff and do nothing. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for you. And I pray that 2017 is a year where you get stretched where you get taken to the, to the breaking point in your walk with him because that's where we lean on him. That's where we discover God. That's where miracles happen. That's where God shows up and does the unheard of. And that's where we then look back and go, wow, God, look at what you did. Look at what you did. Rick Warren, from his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said this, the greatest tragedy is not death, but life without purpose. The greatest tragedy is not death, but life without purpose. What are you gonna do to discover God's purpose for your life in 2017? Who's gonna, gonna inspire you? Who will help you stay the course? Will you be bold? Will you say yes and take risk, the risk of obedient faith? What breaks do you need to release in your life that are 
stopping you from discovering what God has for you. And by the way, why should you bother? Why should you even bother? Because that's where you'll discover the abundant life Jesus promised for you as an individual. And by the way, when that happens individually in the lives of the people in a community of faith, guess what happens? It's this mushroom effect. It's when you discover what God has for you, then your family discovers what God has for your family. And then as your family discovers what God has for them, then we as a church family discover more what God has for us. It's all tied to you. They go, well, you don't need me. You got enough people that are idiots and they'll take the risk. No, we need everybody because we're stronger together than we are apart. And so when we step into it together, the God says, wow, that's a church, that's a people, that's a person that I'm gonna bless abundantly. Watch and see what I'm gonna do. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you have a plan that exceeds our expectations, that will involve uh, risks, that it will not always be easy to say yes to, but God, you honor obedient, risk-taking faith. You honor people who trust you, who lean on you, who rely on you for their next breath. And I pray, God, for every person sitting in this room right now or for those watching online later, I pray, God, that this, tw this year, 2017, would be a year of radical transformation for them, where they begin to discover more about what you have for them, what you've designed in them, what you've purposed for them, and that this year be the, will be the year, Lord, where they'll step into a new realm, a new experience, a new relationship of adventure in the kingdom of God. Lord, as you do that in individuals and you do it in families, I know you'll do it in us collectively as a church, as a church family. And God, I can only imagine what you might do to turn this city and to turn our world upside down through your people who say yes, who are willing to follow you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. I'm not gonna belabor this point, but may what a great way to start the new year. For you to say, yes, God, I'm surrendering my life. Yes, I need a savior. Yes, I need forgiveness. Yep, I've sinned, I've failed. I wanna know Jesus and walk with him. You can start that right here today. This first day of the new year can be the beginning of a new life for you. It starts with a choice you make in your heart. A choice you make to say yes to God. I'm gonna pray a very short and simple prayer. But if you want, make this prayer yours right now. In your own heart, say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's my prayer. And that, oh, that moment, that instant you do, then you, 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 the Bible says you come from darkness into light, from death into life. You become a new creature in Christ. You become his child forever. Make this your prayer right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus, on that cross. I need you. I need a Savior. I confess my sin to you. I confess that I am I'm desperate without you, God. And I wanna surrender my life to you. I wanna follow you. I'm gonna give it all up. Past, present, future, I'm yours. And I, I, I still got questions. I, there are things I don't know, but God, I know this. I know you love me, and I know I need you. And so in this moment, I declare my love for you. I say yes to you. That that's you, in your own way, in your own heart. Say, yep, God, that's what I want. That's me. The Bible says that moment you say yes, you're his. Lord, thank you for those making that decision. Seal it in their hearts that they now belong to you, that you belong to them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take the next 15, 20 minutes or so. We're going to do one of the most exciting things that we do around here, water baptisms. Let me explain before I read the names off uh, how we do this. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to read the names of people. We had uh, about uh, half the group apparently didn't show up, couldn't show up because of the weather. A couple people called and said they're sick, but we'll get them in the next one. But we, guys, this is a celebration. 
So I, I expect you to applaud, yell, scream, holler, whistle, or shout, whatever you want, um, because we're gonna celebrate. And as we worship, we'll be baptizing. We'll be dunking them in water. And if you're a family member or a friend, you wanna come up, just surround the tank. Uh, we encourage that if, if uh, some of the people getting baptized, I'll be dunking them. Others, they've got a family member or a friend baptizing them, that's great. But we want you to be in, invo involved in this process and to celebrate with us. If you today pray that prayer, you said, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. The Bible says, believe and be baptized. There ain't no reason for you to wait. We've got extra clothes, extra towels. You can go, when I have you all stand, you can go out that door, find Sarah, Sarah, raise your hand right there. Find Sarah or Jim over there and they'll get you signed up and get you some clothes and towels and you can get baptized today. Some of you have been thinking about this for like decades or for a long time and you haven't publicly declared your allegiance to Jesus. If you're at least eight years of age, we kind of want to make sure kids understand what they're doing. I don't care if you're eight or 80, and I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, if you've not been publicly baptized in water, this is a public declaration. Yes, I belong to him. Yes, I'm identifying with what Jesus did for me. He died and he raised a new life. And by the way, we got free t-shirts for you too. So what a cool deal. If you want to do that, you go as we um, get ready. You just go sign up and we'll get you uh, baptized today. Let me read off the names. And again, uh, I'm going to encourage you to hoop and holler. Amira and Analia uh, Adams. Everett, Everett Edwards. One of my small group guys, I'm excited about this, Matt Hansen. Melinda Hokama. AJ Iris. Love it when couples get baptized. John and Sarah Kelly. Christopher McLaughlin. Couple siblings, Caleb and Sophie, Sophia Monroy. Lily Rock. Trent Rupert. Dana Stone. Jeremiah Venezuela. Dominique, I think it's Jos, Jos and Cynthia Ward. And if I didn't read off your name, but you're on the list because you showed up a little late, just go. Let's stand together. Let's worship and let's celebrate what God's doing. Wow. I tell you, as a pastor, uh, nothing makes me more excited than people who are saying yep to Jesus and doing so publicly. It takes a big, it's a big, bold step. And I prayed for each one of them that this would be the beginning of a bold, creative, amazing, fantastic, faith-filled year for them. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for being a part of this. If you began your life as Christ follower today and you didn't get baptized, we'll do it again. But on the tables by the doors is a plastic bag. It's got a Bible, so between you start and you walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Some said you missed uh, or uh, didn't, didn't see the books. Uh, Epic Grace, my first book that we gave away at Christmas. They're out there on the information table. You pick one up, take it home if you want to. Communion's available on both sides of the room. I hope you guys come back next week, 9, 30, 11, for a brand new series that I'm excited about, Life on Mission. God bless you guys. Drive safe out there. Have a great New Year's.